Welcome, and thank you for joining the Unbiased Label Podcast, where we believe labels belong on clothes, not people. On this podcast, we have real talk focused on all things fashion and culture with a critical global perspective at the intersection of industry and academia. I'm your host, Zara Karutz, and I launched Unbiased Label after earning my master's in fashion critical studies from Central St. Martins in London. I'm now a PhD fashion studies researcher at Massey University, and I'm obsessed with pushing boundaries by holding deep conversations with meaning. Some people associate fashion with words like vapid or shallow, but really fashion is a visual and material reflection of society, and it's a complicated system of communication. It shapes belonging, identity, and emotions. On this podcast, we believe fashion holds a lot of power that can create change towards a more equitable world, all while still having fun and being creative. This episode of Unbiased Label Podcast is a conversation with your host, Zara Karutz, with Christian Benjamin, who is a Washington, D.C.-based cultural tastemaker, thought leader, and entrepreneur. Christian is the founder and creative director of Story Marketing, a full-service creative and marketing agency focused on mission-based initiatives with authentic storytelling representing cultures from communities of color. Story Marketing's client roster includes brands like McDonald's, Ciroc, Seagram's, with a creative portfolio that includes White House administration initiative called My Brother's Keeper under U.S. President Barack Obama. The portfolio also includes United Nations Girl Up Initiative, San Francisco's Young Community Developers Organization, and the Made in Africa Experience. Please join us for a conversation discussing the journey of being an entrepreneur, ideas rooted in authentic diversity and inclusion, and the importance of how historically black colleges and universities in America, also known as HBCUs, have impacted and made way for black culture. In addition, we will look at Kanye West and how he represents a cultural change maker within the black community. Join us now for a stimulating conversation as we dive deep. Welcome and thank you for uh, joining. Thank you for having me on. You're sort of an intermediary of understanding what culture is and how to connect and how to stay true to that. You started your entrepreneurial journey with the start of a studio, which I remember 1226, which is after your late mother, who you adore. And that was her birthday, right? 1226? Yeah, December 26th. And I remember in the early days when you started, you used to say, everyone gives to each other on Christmas, but who's doing that the day after? I always celebrate my mother's birthday because growing up, nobody celebrated her birthday since it was the day after Christmas. They didn't have the money 
or resources to do so. So we made her day special when I became an adult. That's what we do in the world for underprivileged youth and people we care about when it comes to Thanksgiving and the holidays. And then January 1st, nobody ever talks about anybody underprivileged, anybody homeless. These people need to eat. They, they have birthdays. They have a life. So that may not be what 1226, the company did, but that was my why in terms of even existing. So you started out 1226 Studios and became Story Marketing. How did that happen? It happened organically. I wanted to grow. When you're pitching a project for the government and they say, well, we're going to go with this company that's way bigger than yours, but we really like you better. You came in second place. You don't get paid. So I was like, man, I need to get bigger. And then I met a business partner who was a close friend of mine who had an agency based in Philly that was really good with getting very large projects, but they needed the authenticity of 1226. So we decided to merge together, but we just were like, if we're going to start a new company, we need to name it something that fits both of our brands. I was already wanting to get transition 1226, like the name of the company outside of business. Because as you said at the beginning, the story of my mother and her birthday and stuff means a lot more to me in transactional business. So yeah. I was able to separate it and I kind of have wanted to do that anyway. In essence, um, story marketing is a full service marketing and creative agency focused on mission-based initiatives with a focus on diversity and inclusion, which you were doing this before diversity and inclusion was even really popular, wouldn't you say? It's kind of interesting um, how when you create a business that fits who you are as a person, you're able to be agile and shift without it being fake or forced. We were doing diversity and inclusion since the 1226 days, which to the audience that was in the early 2010s, um, because when I first started as a solo entrepreneur, working on projects for companies trying to do branding and videos and film, I realized that they didn't work with or know how to utilize people of color, diverse backgrounds, different situations. My team are women of different ages and men from different backgrounds and cultures. We're, we can speak to this audience the right way. So when we create a social media campaign or we create a film, it's going to actually speak to the audience in a respectful way. What brands and organizations do, especially when they get bigger, they say, you know what? We want to reach out to the Hispanic community and sell this product. So they'll go sit in a room, go find somebody who they think is a Hispanic influencer, put them in a weird commercial or some social media campaign, and then pitch it to the audience. But what started happening in the mid to, to 2010s is people started calling that out. As we know about the Gucci issue with the sweatshirt that had the weird thing on it, you know, um, well, Christian, fashion is uh, an industry based on appropriation and, and copying, yeah. especially cultures. And now that social media became a big deal, we as a people were able to call these people out, call these companies out and put them on blast as you couldn't do in any era before. You just had to take it unless you had access to the news or something. But now when they go viral for the wrong reasons, lose sales, <clears throat> they're trying to figure out ways to reach back. And I'll be honest with you, the company really made a shift uh, Obama's last two years in the White House. So that was the first major project we were on. They were pushing an initiative, My Brother's Keeper. I don't know if you remember that, but- Yeah, I do. When it I, was a big deal. It was a big deal. All types of organizations were band together, teaching young Black youth and, and helping them and giving them opportunities at a very young age, which would propel them into strong men that could be leaders in the community. I was born on behalf of my company as a consultant because one of the leaders on the science part of the marketing side, I know a guy that needs to be in this room. 
they had marketing agencies from around the world flown in for months to create these campaigns. They thought it spoke, but it spoke uh, to them. They're not in our community. I was like, yo, if you push that out, that's going to go viral for the wrong reason. This is not a joke. It was like a funny thing. And they were like, oh, this is funny. Look at this comedian we use. They had good intentions, but since they're not a part of the community, they weren't able to, um, to identify, you know what, that comes off a little wrong, just like LGBTQ. There's certain things that I learned back in the early 2000s that, hey, when you say that, that makes someone feel bad. It's not about everybody knowing everything or one person speaks for the entire culture, but there's just certain things you know when you're involved in a community, right? In, in terms of what is right and what's wrong and what, what you can change. So why do you think in fashion it's such a problem? You know, you, you see this a lot on the runway with, like you mentioned earlier, with brands have been called out for blackface, yeah. the whole cultural appropriation concept. Why do you think that? I, I think about these big fashion houses and these people that worked wear their whole lives and flew and moved to London and Paris and different countries to work. How many of them are going to speak up on a set or a production and say, this is wrong. They, they flew in all these people to produce something and create it. And they say, okay, this is, this is the pitch. This is the design. This is the, the shoot. This is the, how we're going to do the show. And then one person that considers himself a peon is going to be like, no, this is terrible. I, no, you shouldn't do this. It, it's hard for people to step up and do so. I feel like they don't have a lot of uh, people that will stand Power. up. Yeah, that will actually say, you know, and, and think about it like this too. To stand up and feel that strongly about something, you would have to know it in your heart. So if you're not from that culture or community, how would you even be that that strong will to even do that? So a lot of people are blocked out of the fashion world. That is a well-known thing. Like a lot of um, minorities, and I don't mean just by race, but a lot of minorities are outside of the say-so of the, of the fashion community, especially overseas. So who's even there to even recognize when something's wrong? Right. Well, that's the problem. How many young people look up and see a big fashion house or a, a, an amazing show that they watch on TV and think, I can build that. But when you start people in the elementary years, giving them coding camps or teaching them how to create a business, or this is what an LLC is, you can create it. Oh, you want to you wanna be an influencer? Well, you, and you like basketball? Well, you can create an app for basketball and then you have to be an influencer on social media to sell it. So yeah, they're being an influencer, but they're also a business person. When I learned that other communities were already doing this, that's when I became very passionate about, okay, so now Facebook can't say the talent pool isn't there because they can say that right now because they don't, they're not reaching out to HBCUs and a lot of kids aren't taking these majors. But if we start with the kids now, 15 years from now, they're not going to be able to say that. So I really believe it starts with the diving into our youth and helping them. Can you please explain what an HBCU, HBCU is? Yeah, I'm, thank you, because this is a, a worldwide uh, podcast. HBCUs are historically black colleges and universities. Um, back up until maybe, I don't want to be wrong, but I want to say the 60s or 70s, African-Americans were not allowed to go to college with uh, our white uh, brothers and sisters. So we had to create our own colleges starting in the 1800s. So HBCUs, as they're termed now, are not the predominantly giant colleges that you might see from a American university like uh, Harvard, but they still exist. I went to HBCU. They have limited and lack of resources, but really amazing professors. And it's not just about going to a school where everybody looks like you, but you feel very welcome. A lot of young people feel lost when they go to these big campuses 
But, you know, HBCUs have lost a lot of their funding over the past 20, 30 years because when the world opened up and segregation kind of went away, per se, everybody had the opportunity to go to every school. Our university in D.C. is an HBCU. So HBCUs have their place. Kamala, Kamala Harris. 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 Uh, exactly. That, who's our vice president of the United States today and the first woman That's right. vice president. So these are big deals. Um, you know, all of this sort of injustice is rising to the top. And now you see that companies or organizations are listening or implementing and making these sort of initiatives. So what's your thought on where we are with all of this? Uh, I'm living in that world right now. So with story marketing, the agency over the past two months, We've been reached out to by, I obviously can't name them, but three of the biggest companies. One is one of the biggest companies I've I've ever worked with in my life. 30 plus billion dollar company, right? How much? 30 billion plus. 30 billion plus. I just wouldn't say the name of it, but you know, so, but I'm saying the reason why that's important is not a, a, a bragging type deal. It's more so to say these are companies that have reached out to story marketing without us marketing to them, but they're doing it because in this climate today, you can obviously see that these companies are very scared of doing the wrong thing. So somebody in these offices and boardrooms are saying, you know what, we need diversity, inclusion in our marketing. And when you type those three words in, Story Marketing is the first company that comes up because we've been doing it the longest. So I know why it's happening. It's amazing that it's happening. But to answer your question, every company is gonna say, what do we do about Black Lives Matter? What do we do about racial tension? What do we do? How do we say this? You need to not only go in and bring your company in and make some change, but you also need to reach back out to the community and bring in speakers or people or programming or whatever you know uh, is really doing the work to bring them in and introduce them to the companies so that the work can keep going. And that's not like some far-fetched dream. Like one of the, all of the clients, I let them know, this came from my brother's keeper, where you can create programming, but you also have to create something around it to keep the conversation going. And then your audience is going to know this is for real. Every time I've said that, they've agreed with me. So now what am I able to do? Hey, uh, activist guy, you know that program you have to help kids learn how to code? They're, this company is going to work with you on this in about six months. It's our duty, our in terms of us, us that are getting these projects or these opportunities as these companies are saying, you know what, we need to speak different. We need to, I keep saying Black Lives Matter because, you know, over the past couple months, they've been like, we need to say a statement about Black Lives Matter. How should we do it? You know, but that's your opening to come in and really create a program and not just a message. I had this conversation with a friend of mine the other day, you know, America was built on the backs of slaves. And the the disparity of power is rooted in the institution of its right. creation. So there's a long history. And there hasn't really ever been reparations that I'm aware of, of acknowledgement of past wrongs or even a restitution that's been made publicly uh, for that horrible behavior. And, and so when there's been no restitution, there's been no reparations really authentically addressed pain and we know that trauma is mm-hmm. generational it is passed down it alters your dna not that long ago uh segregation was still in yeah. existence i'm glad you said that because first everything you said is incredible but to carry on the last statement and go back to the first um my father grew up in dc and had to sit in different places to watch movies he, and my father is not some 90 year old 
or a hundred something year old man. If you saw my father, he looks like he would be my father. He's, he's 70 years old, but he, he looks a little younger than that. He's a regular guy who has his full capacities and can sit there and tell you with a right mind how my uncle was a crazy person because he would sit in the bottom of the movie theater. Like, yo, you are a gangster. Like, what are you doing? You're going to get us all killed. You know, imagine that today. I can have 20 of my white friends around me. And if somebody said, go sit up in the top because you're black, they would fight. You know what I mean? I wouldn't have to do anything. So imagine living in a world yeah. where the gangster was the dude who sat in the movie theater and watched the movie in the seat he wanted to use. You know what I mean? That wasn't a hundred years ago. Yes, people don't understand. No. This stuff is very recent, but going your question about reparations, I know everybody has a different opinion on how it could be done, but I, I, I'm going to go with what I know. Some people may not want to talk about it. Some people may want to get past it. Some people legitimately don't have a strong knowledge of that history because it doesn't really pertain to their culture. And I think people need to understand that with everybody. I'm not of a particular culture. I understand my, where I came from and what my problems were. That's not everybody's problems. I also have a different relationship with companies. I see them as people. Cause when I go into these rooms, I'm talking to four people, four individuals, a hundred individuals. They're, they're all are regular people. Some people are assholes. Some people are, may have a prejudice. Some people are really cool. I'm noticing women are speaking up a lot in these companies now because after the movement, they're feeling more empowered and that's great. I, I'm like happy for that. And so, you know, whoever's within these companies needs to start really providing opportunities for those that uh, didn't get the opportunities in the 60s and 70s, got overlooked, got harassed. They're giving opportunities that are changing families. I want to throw out this idea of reparations. Here's my thing with monetary reparations that I think would be very tough. Everybody can tell by your skin color, whether you're lighter or darker, you're black, right? But in the inner workings of the community, everybody didn't get here the same way. That's not recognized anywhere but outside of the community. So when you walk into a room and you see a room full of white CEOs, you're still a black person walking into that room. But in the neighborhoods of the communities, you know, 40% of the community are immigrants. Some may be pure African. There's a lot of people that come from the Caribbean that grew up Americanized, so you don't know the difference. A lot of people's backgrounds are not all from slavery. That's not my battle to fight per se, but that is a battle that's going on right now in the community. I have a very unique perspective where now my mind is a, a little more expanded because I have all three backgrounds. And what I mean by that is I grew up in this neighborhood in D.C. with my dad, uh, living through Jim Crow, my mother, uh, black justice. You know, I grew up knowing about slavery, watching Roots growing up, you know, fighting for my people and, and becoming an entrepreneur and all these things. But I was adopted. Right. When I met my birth mother, she's Trini. She came here a little bit before she had me. My birth father is Nigerian and ended up moving back to Lagos and creating giant companies. I didn't grow up with both of them nor know them my, my entire life. So really, my background is a first-generation American, and my parents, speaking to them individually, my biological parents, when they talk, they're not disrespecting my, anybody, but um, my birth mother's like, yeah, we didn't come from slavery. Don't don't say that. Like, I'm not, I, 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 we weren't slaves. Like, that's their thing. Not saying it like they were saying it disrespectfully, but it's like, know your history, right? So now I have all right. three embedded in me. I'm like, wow, this history is really crazy. Talking to my birth father, he can trace things back from kings and queens. Like, he's legitimately coming from royalty. And I'm like, wow, this is amazing. I still side with the plight that I grew up in, police brutality and all these things. So now I can see it from different perspectives. What you're saying is it's two different issues. You have the issue of the, the past, your or, the origins, and then you have right. just based racism on color. based on color that is so regardless I feel like opportunity of your 
and those things for all people, uh, all black people, uh, you know, things like that are going to go a lot farther than if you came from slaves, check this box and we're going to give you whatever, because people are now going to be like, well, I know that family over there, they're black, but they didn't come from slaves. Like that would become, I feel like a little divisive as opposed to if you look like this, oh. you get an opportunity because we, we left opportunities away from people that look like this, if that makes sense. Well, yeah, yeah, because I think both are true. And I think that because it's such a layered problem, there's a lot of different nuances that have to be addressed and considered. And having those conversations, I think, are, is the first step to really um, understanding where we are, whether it's discrimination mm-hmm. against women, uh, racial uh, minorities, disabilities, what, what have you. The majority ruling of thumb is I'm a white man. We have all the power and exactly. those are not our issues. And the, the divide. Serena Williams' husband, actually, Alex from Reddit, he stepped down. Now, this was a real move to me. Like, as opposed to giving somebody a $5,000 check, he stepped down from the board of Reddit and asked for his board seat to be replaced by African-American. Why that's so important? Because the African-American on the board of one of the top three biggest social media platforms on the planet is gonna go a lot further for not only that person's generation, but who he brings up. I've gotta talk to you on Kanye because, you know, Kanye is such a culture maker. Kanye West from 2001 to 2021 has done so many things in the culture in terms of influencing the music. Like Drake exists because Kanye exists. Uh, uh, People may not, want to believe that but they got to understand like music you had to be a certain way kanye was the first artist to say you know what i can be what back then was considered a nerd i can dress like this i can wear backpacks and polo that was just not accepted in rap that was not accepted in hip-hop that was not a thing so to be yourself and use auto-tune and sing and be weird and do art that was kanye pushing that forward as a person who didn't care what people said and then artists in around the early late 2000s to early 2010 started being more comfortable with saying you know what i'm tired of the creator i'm drake i'm going to sing and sing about being in a relationship you know what i mean you realize that artists didn't sing about rappers didn't sing rap about stuff like that back before (laughs) you see what i'm saying i'm gonna like dress in weird clothes i'm gonna be jaden smith and dive into high fashion and wear a skirt or something like whatever people felt they could do that remember a rapper like that could not have existed drake could not make drake music in 1998 and be popular you know what i mean kanye opened the door for the diversity within rap and hip-hop for the most part he's kind of not liked by his community that made him famous like the black community the urban community more so like they kind of don't really rock with Kanye, but the thing about music and the thing about people is if Kanye walked into a room right now, everybody would still want to talk to him and really now they like him again. If Kanye made a hot track or an amazing visual, people are going to like it and support it. So one thing you notice is people, quote unquote, can get canceled until they do something that's really important again. So what do you think the difference is between him and like a Virgil? Because Virgil and yeah. Kanye, I mean, friends. They both grew up in Chicago. There's a lot of similarities. Right. I, I don't think they've ever fallen out. I think there's a lot of support there. I don't even really know what Virgil's voice sounds like because he doesn't jump on TV and say things. So when you don't say things, 
you are kind of you play both games where I'm not saying Virgil's doing anything wrong. I'm saying that he doesn't have the controversial statements. Like Kanye didn't just I don't want to say he fell off, but he didn't get into that space by just being him being not saying anything. He says a lot of things. So people now can argue about it and debate it. If Virgil said those things, yeah. it would be in the same space. But also, if you go ask your average person, a lot of people don't know who Virgil is. I mean, a lot of people do. He's famous for what he does, but he's not like a particular household name because he is so quiet. Like if Kanye did what Kanye was doing and spoke his points a little cl more clearly, he would be the perfect representation of our culture. But see, here's the point where I don't want to disrespect Kanye West because one, I do believe he's a genius at what he does and what he has created. So if I knew there was a person that was off their meds or had problems with mental health, I wouldn't sit there and just mock that or step over it. So maybe that's the reason why sometimes he does seem to get very agitated and say certain things. Because if you even if you break down, which I won't go all the way into, but that slavery was a choice thing, I could not believe he said it. But when I actually rewatched the whole entire thing, I understood the point he was trying to make. But when you when you summarize it as slavery is a choice, it's not going to come off right. But the point he was making was more so around you're they were forced into the choice but everything is a choice anything if if somebody says you know jump off this bridge and i'm gonna shoot you you're like yeah well you kind of have no choice, but you do have you're going to jump off the bridge is a choice that puts you in a bad predicament but you, it's your mindset you knew that you had no way out you see what i'm saying or you felt you had no way out now he made it when you take the clip of slavery mm -hmm. as a choice it sounds like people are like hey we want to be slaves we don't care about this we're going to stay slaves and that's disrespectful to our ancestors but that wasn't a point he made, but when you say it wrong, people have no choice but to take you by your words. They're not going to listen to a two-hour interview while they're driving to work, you know? I think we're definitely in a new era, and I think exposing ourselves and each other to new cultures and ways of doing things is how creativity and ideas flow, so... I'm hopeful you know, as well, like... I I'm hopeful. The world, I, feel I, hopeful. I feel like sometimes... I don't know how this will come off, but I feel like as a human being, we are born to be very uh, encapsulated or in a bubble with our space of how we, of the couple years before we were born, um, our life, and then what we see as our immediate future. But if you look beyond the immediacy of our existence, the world has been going on and progressing for a long time, for hundreds and thousands of years. And I believe it's kind of almost an arrogance to think that well, things are going to backpedal just because something happened in our generation. So I'm fully confident that things will only get better and that whatever seeds I sow and that you sow and that somebody listen to this souls will continue moving the culture forward in fashion and tech and design and culture and race, you know, and that's what we have to believe. Our, we're very large and we're from God, but still we're minute in the world, in, this, in the world and just our minute moves are going to destroy everything that's been uplifted for thousands of years. Thank you so much. This conversation has been really inspiring to You me are a top human being, book. and thank you for bringing me on, and thank you for remembering things, which shows real friendship. You remember things we had not talked about in 10 years, so I appreciate you. Everyone that's listening, thank you. Reach yeah. out. Let's talk soon. Thank you, Christian, for that fantastic conversation on how to take a cultural approach to diversity and inclusion, which moves change forward within society. Speaking with you reminds me of the power of honest connection and friendship. So in closing, these are my thoughts. 
Labels belong on clothes, not people. As we see in history, which is rooted in bias and oppression, has divided our connection and understanding of humanity. Social dominance has closed doors to opportunities for many people, and this unbalanced worldview has limited exposure in many cultures that have fought so hard in order to have their voice heard. I am reminded that the foundation to change is understanding and sharing of ideas, building a collective spirit of love for all people. We are all responsible for caring for each other and for creating a new world through education, conversation, and reaching back. It is in the challenging of ideas and creating new opportunities where birth of new ideas changes the reality. It's the responsibility of leadership and change that belongs to all of us. May we all learn to understand and appreciate our differences before we judge. And may we learn to understand culture which will lead us forward rather than following false popular opinion. As the world moves forward towards justice and healing, may we all walk together hand in hand with understanding, respect, and kindness for ourselves, each other, and the world for which we live in. Thank you so much for joining us for this episode of the Unbiased Label Podcast with your host, Zara Karutz. Please subscribe, share, comment, and engage in your thoughts with our conversation. Please tune in next week for another thought-provoking conversation at the intersection of industry and academia focused on fashion and culture. Until next time. Thank you for listening to the Unbiased Label Podcast. If you've enjoyed the show, then please connect with us on social media, tell a friend, and leave a review. Please tune in next time for more conversation on fashion and culture from a critical global perspective at the intersection of industry and academia. Until next time, stay well.